Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, starting in verse 22 is where, is where I'm starting today. Uh, and this is where we are in our journey through the book of Acts. We're going to be going through the book of Acts for the next couple of months. And today we're actually picking up in the very center of one of the most pivotal moments in history. And so where we are today is a continuation of Peter's proclamation of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And so to get there, we have to know what kind of went on, what transpired to get to this point. And so if you listen to Blake's message last week, he reminded, he reminded of us of a lot of the things that took place uh, in the previous days before this to be able to get here. And so Jesus was brought to trial. He was falsely accused. He was beaten and mocked and scorned, and he was ultimately executed on a cross on Good Friday. And so uh, according to God's plan, as we're going to see today, he was raised from the grave uh, three days after that on Sunday. And as Blake reminded us last week, his ministry at this point is very far from over. And so after becoming a sacrifice for sins, he did not disengage from his people. And so we can praise him for that, that he did not disengage from his people. But Acts 1-3 says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, so he not only shows them that he's, that he's still alive, but he's affirming uh, all that he has previously said, and he continues to, to communicate these truths to, to his followers about what, the, what his heavenly kingdom is going to look like. And he does that for the next 40 days. And so uh, on a little bit of a side note, he is so good. Like, if you've ever experienced the, the death of someone close to you, you can imagine kind of what these guys are feeling like right now, what these, what these disciples are going through after Jesus' death. And so uh, at KD's on Wednesday when we were having our small group meeting, Jordan and Silas and I, we were kind of talking about this. Uh, Christ has died in front of the eyes of these, of these people, of real people, that were very close to him for years. And we, we can't disconnect from that fact. We can't disconnect from the fact that these are real people with real doubts, with real fears, with real emotions, and probably even despair. These people probably felt like they had just taken like a sucker punch to the throat. Like this is a, this is a serious situation that they're in right now. But Jesus is not going to leave them there. Like, he doesn't leave them there. He shows them in many ways that God's plan is actually unfolding exactly the way that he had promised them that it would. He is so good. He's so good. And I just, I remembered that, and I saw that while, while going through that this week. And while he's literally staying and eating with them and, and communing with them, he orders them not to, not to leave from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise that that, that was going to come, to wait and they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so at the end of the 40 days, they, they gather together. They gather together as one, and they ask Jesus this question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus tells them, like, look, this is not your concern right now. You should not be concerned about this. But then what he promises them instead is of major significance. He promises them that they're going to receive power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come just as Christ has promised, and they're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit, if you remember from the book of John, Christ's promise would be more beneficial for them than him actually staying themselves. 
And they're, and they're about him actually staying himself, and they're about to see exactly what he's talking about. And so as a result of this power that they receive, they're going to be propelled to their local context and then to the farther outer lying areas of their context and even to the ends, even to the far reaches of the earth to be able to preach this gospel of good news. And so that's, uh, and then just as promised, this is where we are today. The day of Pentecost arrives. And so these people are, are all gathered in one place. They're gathered together and a mighty rushing wind comes through from heaven. It comes through the place that they're, that they're staying, that they're all gathered. And then the Holy Spirit fills the people in that place. People from many different languages begin to, to be able to understand what other people are saying in their own language. They be able to, they're, they're able to hear and to comprehend what's going on. And the Jews from different stretches of the earth are now able to communicate together as one. And so this amazes them, but also, like, like I would imagine, causes a lot of confusion uh, with, with a lot of them. So even to this point where some uh, are mocking and saying, like, you know, these people, these people are drunk. Like, these people are wasted right now. There's no way we're seeing what we're seeing before our eyes. All these people from different places communicating together, there's no way, there's no way that's happening. And then Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who had denied Christ three times uh, before, before, he was, before he was crucified, that same Peter comes, comes together and, and is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he addresses this crowd. And so he clarified for the people exactly what's going on first. He says, look, these people are not drunk. It's the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Like, there's no way that these people are drunk at this time. But what you see before your eyes is only a fulfillment of what has been foretold by the prophet Joel. So it's a fulfillment of what was, what was told in the Old Testament. Peter says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it was declared generations back that this day was coming, that the last days were coming. The day when all of God's people would experience the power of the Holy Spirit and would literally become prophets, proclaiming his kingdom on earth. God is no longer dwelling in these special prophets and judges and priests of the Old Testament. All these others who, you know, who... Uh, He's no longer dwelling in these people exclusively. He's not just revealed himself to, to preachers and priests and those others that, that lead on, on Sunday mornings here, but he has graciously revealed himself to all of his children, to all of, to all of us, to everyone who believes in him. And it's a simple truth, and we know this, but we need to be constantly reminded that as children of God, we have the power of the Holy Spirit because he is living in us. And so what we're going to see through the book of Acts is not primarily the acts of the apostles and the people who are doing the work, but the acts of the Holy Spirit who's working on behalf of them and who's impacting the people as the gospel spreads. And so today uh, we're going to continue on with Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired sermon. 
And so Peter is, is preaching a sermon to these people. And for those of you who have who've had the opportunity to be able to preach, you learn that, that preaching a sermon is, is different than teaching in quite a few ways, right? So preaching definitely has teaching aspects in it. Like we want to be able to teach and, and to communicate truth uh, with as much accuracy as we possibly can. And we want to point out what we see and what that, what that accurately means in Scripture. But it fails to be preaching if we just stop there, right? Preaching is, is a persuasive thing. Preaching is, is argumentative. And if in your Bible study methods class, you're actually, you're actually learning to do this, right? You're learning to examine the text, to ask questions about the text, to wrestle with it. And so that's what we do when we're, when we're preparing a sermon. I'm not only trying to get across truths to you that I learned this week. I'm not trying to just tell you a bunch of things that I learned this week, but I'm trying to convince you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you should actually believe these things and that these things actually have major implications on your life, that they're significant to you. And so I'm trying to convince you of that this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. Every time we preach, we have to try to answer the question, what difference does this actually make? Why does it matter to me or to you in this room today? And that's exactly what Peter is doing here to, to his context, to his people. And so let's read from verse uh, 22 to 42 in Acts chapter 2. We'll pick up in 22. It says, um, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades." Or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter's speaking again. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. 
And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I thank you for allowing me to be able to come here this morning to, to try to communicate truth and, and to, Lord, for us to be able to understand your gospel, but for, also, for us also, uh, for anyone in this room who doesn't know Christ, to be, to be persuaded and to, to understand that he is Lord of all. Lord, I pray that, uh, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you, would, that you would speak through me, that you would work through me this morning in order to, to communicate that truth, uh, to, be able to, to be able to see the gospel clearly and to be able to understand um, exactly what Peter is, is teaching here. Lord, I pray that you would put uh, all of my anxiety and my fear aside and allow me to be able to, to communicate this correctly and effectively, Lord. Uh, allow this to pierce the hearts of those who do not know you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is active and at work in those around here in power, Lord. We thank you for that and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, last week, what we saw was Peter urging people to embrace what was actually happening at Pentecost, like embrace what's going on here, that, that prophecy had been fulfilled through Jesus, which means that we are now in the last days and that everyone can know God personally, like we can know him personally, we can know him intimately, and we should make his name known just as the prophets did in the Old Testament. That's our, that's our goal. That's what we want to do. And so today, he's going to continue to exhort this crowd, and he turns his attention to arguing that Jesus is the true Messiah. And he's going to do that in a few different ways. He's going to remind his people of the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's going to remind them of the fulfillment of King David's promises in Jesus, that Jesus is the greater David. And then we're going to see the response that the people have the response of the people, including Peter's call to repentance, calling them to repentance. And so starting in verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so Peter starts this persuasive argument by, by referring to Jesus' life as the man from Nazareth. Like, he's the man from Nazareth. He, he's the one that you know. Some of the people in the crowd probably saw him and knew him really well. Uh, whether they wanted to admit it or not, they knew that Jesus did some pretty amazing things right in front of many of their eyes that could not be explained apart from the power of God. So Peter's just saying, look, you guys saw him. You saw the mighty works and the wonders and the signs that he did. You saw him. Over the past year and a half, we've been walking through some of Jesus' many miraculous signs and wonders through the book of John. Some of them possibly saw them firsthand. And so these mighty works that Jesus was doing, they were pretty commonly accepted among these people. And so Peter is just asking them to simply remember what they've seen and what they've heard in Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. And so he also refers to his death, 
reminding the men here that in the same way that his signs and his wonders and, and the works that he's done on this earth were from God, his death was also directly orchestrated by God for the glory of the Father. Even before Christ's entry into the world, in fact, before the beginning of creation, God's redemptive plan to bring about salvation to those who, who don't know him involved the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, Peter's also referring to, to something similar to this uh, when he's addressing his brothers in exile. He, he begins by praising God and teaching about the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. This is in 1 Peter. He said, then, then because of the grace and the mercy of God, he calls them to prepare their minds for action. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Look forward to the hope of when Jesus is coming back. And one way that he pleads with them to look forward to this hope and to look, to look toward this hope is by showing them that Christ's death on the cross was God's plan all along. We talked about this through John. This is just another, another thing that says that. It's, it's verse 20 says, He, referring to Jesus, He was foreknown before the, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God's planned this all along. This has been his plan. Peter wants to remind the people that this was no tragedy that caused Christ's death, but God has completely orchestrated Christ being delivered up and being crucified, ultimately for his glory and for our good. And if he orchestrated his being handed over to the authorities and his death, you better believe that he orchestrated his resurrection. The text says that the pangs or, or the cords of death could literally not hold him down. He could not be held down by death. He was ultimately too powerful to be held down. And he overcame the grave, just leaving a folded burial cloth in there. That was it. And so Peter, who is, who's addressing this specific group of people now, right? The men of Israel. He says, you he says, you crucified him and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. And then he mentions it again in, in verse 36, like at the end, he, sa he says, you know, and, and this Jesus whom you crucified, I don't want you to forget, you, you crucified this Jesus. So let's think about this for a minute. It, it's, it's very possible and it's probably likely that, you know, a lot of the people in this crowd maybe were not there the day that, that, uh, that Jesus was crucified. So, why is Peter saying that they, all of the men listening to him, at least 3,000 people, probably more, why is he saying to them that they crucified Jesus? Because everybody in that crowd, regardless of if they were there that day or not, was involved in this crime against Christ. Because the ultimate crime was not that they were all voting against him to send him to the cross, to send him to imminent death, it's not that they all signed off on his death warrant that day, but the fact, the, gra the grave tragedy, the biggest issue with this is that they rejected him as God. They rejected Jesus Christ as being God. So that was the problem for them, and, this is the, and that's the grave problem with those who would not identify with Christ as Lord in, in this place today. We like to, you know, when, we, when we're sharing the gospel, we... 
you know, as believers, when we're sharing the gospel with others, we like to look at, at symptoms of problems sometimes instead of, the, instead of the big problem. Those are like a little bit easier to deal with. So like when we're sharing the gospels with, with those around us, uh, people that don't know Christ as Lord, we want to make it a little bit simpler. We want to make it a little bit less confronting issue than it really is. So we, th- we say things to unbelievers like when they ask for advice, like stop doing this or stop doing that. You know, uh, treat your wife with more gentleness and with less rudeness and brashness. Uh, apologize to this person and start making yourself into a better person. Like, like start cleaning up yourself. Quit looking at those things on the internet. And, and all of these things, don't get me wrong, giving these people instructions are not bad things, but they don't even scratch the surface on the major issue for people who don't believe in Christ. The major issue is that if they're not a believer, there is a gulf of separation between them and the one true God. There is a gulf of separation. Like, they, they cannot come to God. They cannot know true love or joy or peace or patience or any of the other fruits of the Spirit. They can't know self-control without knowing the one who gives these gifts. The one who gives these gifts is the Holy Spirit. This individual, this person that you're talking to is not in need of a life alteration. They are in desperate need of a true and lasting relationship with the one Jesus Christ. I pray that those in this congregation, that that all of us, that we wouldn't practice helping people clean up their external issues without actually touching the true problem. I pray that we would be people who would point to the Lord and Savior of our souls as the source of true and lasting contentment. He is the one who fixes us. And so to continue on, starting in verse 25, Peter, Peter continues his argument. And he's pointing to someone who, he's pointing to someone now, you know, he's already talked about Jesus in his, in his life. He's already talked about, okay, look, just look at Christ. This, this, is, this is who he was on, the, on this earth. He's already talked about that, so he's going to move on to his next argument. And he's going to talk about somebody, point to somebody that's in very high regard among the people in this audience, and that's King David. And so let's read it in verse 25. It says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So this is from the Old Testament, right? This is uh, Psalm 16, which is a psalm of David. And from your footnotes on the psalm, uh, you may see that it was, it was probably a musical theme. It was probably put to music at some point. And uh, Peter is about to actually, you know, this is the benefit of being able to preach a, ser- preach a sermon on a sermon. Peter is actually about to do a lot of work for me because he's going to communicate exactly what we should get from this Old, text- Old Testament text. And so... Uh, starting in verse 29, it says, it says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
And of that, we are all witnesses. And so this passage, it's, it's not merely a passage about King David, but instead it's a prophetic psalm that's pointing toward Christ, who's a descendant of the throne of David. David was a great king, but Jesus is the perfect king. Jesus is the perfect king. And so David was a man after God's own heart, but there's one problem. There's one problem that Peter points out here. David's dead. His tomb is one of the major landmarks in Jerusalem, and, and it, without a doubt, is where David's body is still laying, decaying. So instead, he's, he's arguing that David, the king of Israel that, that is appreciated and respected and, and probably even idolized by these people that are in this crowd that he's talking to, he was really writing about the Jesus of Nazareth that you just rejected and killed. And remember, just a little side note, uh, when Hades is mentioned, or uh, Sheol from the Old Testament, uh, that's different translations, uh, it's not necessarily referring to a place of torment for unbelief, for unbelievers. But it, if someone who believes in God actually dies before the death and the resurrection of Christ, their, souls, uh, their soul was abandoned to Hades and their bodies obviously decayed. And so, uh, if you remember, when, when Joey preached in Advent, uh, he referred to Sheol. And it, it was a place of darkness where, where the souls of men dwelt. And, and we learn from Scripture that it is a place where, where no wisdom or knowledge dwell and, and no work is really done. And so, David's body, in this case, would have definitely been abandoned to Hades. And his flesh would have most definitely decayed. So, this had to be a prophecy about the greater king, Jesus Christ, the greater king that was to come. And Christ in all of his glory is, is that king. He was not abandoned to Hades, but instead he broke down the gates of Hades and freed the Old Testament faithfuls, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all of the others who, were, who believed in God. And he brought them into paradise with him. And so regardless of, of what their thoughts were, this was, the, this was the real Jesus. This was, this was him that, that David was referring to, and there was absolutely no denying it. So verse 33 says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so the next question these, these men that are, that are standing in this crowd might have is, okay, well, where's, where's Jesus now? What's, what's going on now? So David lays it out very clearly. He says, he is exalted. He has taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And again, Psalm 110 is a psalm of David, but it does not portray David. It portrays promises that don't apply to him. These are promises that, that, are not, that, that don't apply to David at all. And so Peter's argument, is, again, is that it's all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Jesus David did not sit at the Father's right hand. David did not, did not ascend to the Father. This was Jesus. That's Jesus' place. And so Paul writes a similar proclamation uh, in Ephesians 1. So he begins uh, by talking about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In Ephesians 1, he, ta he talks about how, how we are blessed in Christ. 
And then he says in verse 15, uh, and bear with me, this is, uh, I tried to shorten this, but this is, this is one sentence. Paul likes to uh, kind of carry on for a little while. And so he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what are the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of, the, of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Two sentences. That was two sentences. Wow. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's far above all authority and dominion and power he has the name above every other name. All things are under his feet, and he is the head of the church. This is the Jesus that, that David was referring to, and this is the Jesus that Paul was referring to there. And so Peter next is going to try to tie everything together. He says, Christ not only left and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he not only took his rightful place as the ruler of the earth, but he also received the promised Holy Spirit and poured him out over the people on that day in Pentecost. So Peter's saying, listen to my arguments from Scripture. Like, I'm telling you things from Scripture that are true, that are pointing to the Christ. Listen to my arguments from Scripture, but also understand that everything, just try to put yourself in these guys' place. Understand that everything that you're seeing and hearing and experiencing today is a direct result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. That's what Peter's saying to these people. And he says it becomes, I mean, I mean it just it becomes completely evident why Jesus said that it was greater that he left and sent his Holy Spirit or, or the helper to be with them. They are experiencing the Holy Spirit firsthand today. And so that's Peter's last argument. He says, listen, listen, just, just look around you. Just see, just experience what's actually going on here. And so now... Listen to, the, listen to the response. Peter's, uh, Peter's preached his sermon. Peter has, has talked to these people. And now listen to the response of the people when they, when they hear what Peter has to say, when they hear what he says uh, concerning Christ. In verse 37, it says, now when, they, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So at this point, all that Peter has preached to them is truth about Jesus and the reality that they had rejected him. His truth and the reality that they had rejected him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, these people are convicted. They understood that they were guilty and that they were going to be objects of God's wrath. As Paul talks about when he's referring to us uh, before we believed in, in Ephesians 2. There's no, there's no weight like 
They're not waiting for Peter to offer an invitation. These people immediately see that they were wrong. They see, they see the, the shame that's on their head. And these people, uh, they see that Jesus of Nazareth is without a doubt the Messiah. And they want to be freed from their condemnation. They want to trust in him. So they ask Peter, what do we do? Like, what, what, what's next? What do we do? And so he gives them these commands. And then he makes them a promise. He says in verse 38, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So repent from the evil that you've been practicing by rejecting Christ. Turn from those things. Be baptized in the name of Christ. And then he gives them this major truth that's going to carry on throughout the rest of Acts. And just like we discussed last week, Christianity is a go and tell deal. It's not primarily come and see, but it's go and tell. This is a promise that not only those who were in Jerusalem that day will be able to receive the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit is for their children and for all of those who are far off. And we can praise God for that because we're the ones that were far off. So the people that day were moved by the Holy Spirit and they were baptized, professing their faith publicly to all the other people that were there. And about 3,000 souls were added that day. 3,000 new believers in one geographic location added to the kingdom of God. And as we're going to see next week, the, the Holy Spirit produces a spirit of generosity and, and community within these people. And, and it's unique and powerful. It's something that's never really been seen before. And people are continuously added to their numbers daily. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is continuing to be shown more and more as the church gains momentum and as the church proclaims the gospel powerfully. And so... Uh, for those of you who are in this room today, who are, who are listening to this, uh, to this message and who maybe have not trusted in Christ, I, I'm going to try to speak with the same boldness and directness as, as Peter has spoken. In the same way that the people in Acts 2 have, have rejected Christ by not acknowledging him as God, as Lord over all, you've also rejected him too. You've rejected him. And to say that he's a good teacher, that the things that Jesus taught in his ministry were, were good standards to live by and to raise your kids by and all of that, to come to church on Sunday and to be embraced and cared for by people while, while singing songs and while hearing preaching, these are all good things. But if you do these things and don't recognize Jesus Christ as Lord, as the one who died on the cross as a sacrifice for sins, the one who brought man back into right relationship with God, the one who now sits at the right hand of the Father and the one who rules over the earth, the one who is coming back one day to take us to be with him. If you don't acknowledge and trust in this Christ today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak through his word, that you would be cut to the heart, that you would be cut to the heart like these people in Acts that you would recognize that you have rejected Christ as God, that you would repent, that you would turn away from your sin, and that you would lean in on the truth. Lean in on the truth today. 
that Peter boldly proclaimed and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trust in him today. Lean in on this truth. And now I'm turning the attention to the believers in the room, who I would say is probably most of us in here. And I have a few things that, that were kind of uh, grabbing me from this, from this text this week as I was going through it. Number one is kind of a, uh, you know, it's something that we know, but we need to be reminded of. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing for ourselves and we can do nothing for others. We have no ability apart from him. He is the source that brings about regeneration. He regenerates souls. Remember, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. He is the one that does that. This coming from death to life, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's also the one that produces fruit. We cannot produce fruit apart from him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are produced in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit as we're being sanctified, as we're being made into Christ's likeness. That's the only way that this works. So let's recognize his authority in our lives. Pray for him to sanctify us daily, to make us more like him. And be constantly praying and watching for him, working in others around us. I pray that you would recognize the power of the Holy Spirit today. That what we just read in Acts, uh, how, how, God, how God through the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter, I pray that you, would, that you would recognize that today and that you would see his power. Number two, what does Peter command his people to do immediately? What does he command his people to do after they respond to the gospel? to be baptized. And so we put a lot of emphasis on this. And while baptism, we recognize that it doesn't save you. Like it's not salvation. It doesn't give salvation, but it is a public profession of your faith in Jesus. It's a public profession of, of who you are to the people around you now, your new identity. And it's a charge for number one, you to commit to growing in your faith and, and to being a part of a community. That's this church. And number two, for us to commit to discipling you and to caring for you and to loving you. And so if you're, if you're a believer and, you're, and you haven't been baptized, I, I would like for you to come and talk with me. I mean, notice in, the, in this passage, what they say is that they were baptized immediately. Like this is not something that they waited on. Like the, if, they were, if they were a believer in this context, they were baptized immediately. And so we teach a class that, that covers baptism in more detail and then we'll actually baptize you here in front of the church, uh, just as you saw Serenity do a few weeks ago. And so Peter's command was to repent and then to be baptized. And then number three, this is, this is kind of getting into next week's sermon a little bit, but, but regeneration also brings about community. And so next week, you're going to see the effects of the people that are encountered with and that are changed by the gospel. They're going to begin to break bread and to eat together. They're going to devote themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching and to one another. They're going to give sacrificially to anyone who has need out of the overflow of their hearts. Generosity. And I pray that today, as we're looking at this sermon, I pray that we would be a church that looks like that. I pray that we would be moved by, by the Holy Spirit in such a way that brings about change in such a way that our desires for, for comfort 
and for satisfaction and for praise of ourselves, that they would take a back seat to generosity and would take a back seat to humility as we serve one another. And so would you pray with me this morning? Father, we, we thank you for the, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. That Christ, you, you were not going to abandon us. Your plan was never to, to leave us on our own. But God, that we actually have benefit in receiving your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that today that, that the Holy Spirit produces power. That we receive power and that we're called to be prophets. We're called to share the gospel to those around us. Father, I pray that, that in our weakness and in our inabilities and in all of the things that we, that we like to discount ourselves from sharing the gospel, I pray that you would allow us to be able to look past those things and through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would change and convict hearts. That you would bring people from deadness into life. Father, I thank you for the people in this church and I pray that, that we would not only acknowledge your Holy Spirit, but that we would see the power that he brings. Father, our hope is completely in you because we know that apart from you, we can do nothing, as it says in John chapter 15, Lord. We pray that, we pray that you would continue to convict our hearts or we're wrong. And things that we don't understand, Lord, continue to teach us, sanctify us. And I pray that as we see the gospel moving in Acts, that we would see a supernatural gospel movement in this community and in this city. We give you all the praise for that, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.